You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So I, I have to be prepared, and I'm generally prepared 70 or 75%, but I like divine inspiration. I like that. I believe in it. I believe that those actors are divine creatures, and I think if they, if they have an instinct to move in a certain way or to, to do something at a certain time, I don't want to cut that off or put a ceiling on their creativity. I want to be a producer with a hit show on Broadway. You're listening to the Producers Perspective Podcast with your host, Tony Award winner, Ken Davenport. Hey, that is Kiss Me Kate, currently on Broadway at the Roundabout Theater, choreographed by none other than today's guest, Mr. Warren Carlisle. We'll be getting to Warren in just a second, who's going to tell you all about how he staged this number and the tricky part he had with another number in the show and how he solved it. And he's going to talk about working with Hugh Jackman and Bette Midler and what it was like being a real-life Billy Elliot. Yeah, but before we do that, Kiss Me Kate's nominated for some Tony Awards this year. Are you watching the Tony Awards? It is coming up, my friends. It is coming up. Sunday, June 9th, CBS 9. No, that's not true. It's 8 o'clock. You know what's at 9? Game of Thrones. You know what would be over by then? Game of Thrones. So set your DVRs. Plan your Tony parties right now. Let's make this the most watched Tony Awards ever, including this number from Kiss Me Kate. I'm sure they're doing too darn hot. So tune in. Otherwise, you will have nothing to talk about the next day when everyone's like, did you see Too Darn Hot on uh, Tony Awards? They crushed it. Uh, So tune in Sunday night, June 9th, 8 o'clock CBS. Enjoy the show. And now on with Mr. Warren Carlisle. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? 
In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, theater fans. Welcome back to the Producers Perspective podcast. My name is Ken Davenport. Thank you for listening and for your support of the live theater. We are talking to one of the hottest choreographers in Times Square these days. Please welcome Tony Award winner, Mr. Warren Carlyle. Welcome, Warren. Hi, hi. So Warren won for uh, his beautiful production of After Midnight and was nominated for Best Director on that as well. He was Tony nominated for Kiss Me Kate this year, which I have not seen yet, but I cannot wait. Just one more. Next week I can see it. Other credits on Broadway include Hello, Dolly! on the 20th Century, A Christmas Story, Follies, Finney and Rainbow, which he also directed as well. Tell us how you got started on your path to Broadway, because you did not grow up around here, from what I know. I did not. I mean, I clearly grew up in a different country, um, England. I grew up in a small town called Norwich. I danced from the age of 10. I got a scholarship to a ballet school. Billy Elliot is actually the best way to describe my life. That's, that's actually truly who I am. I am Billy Elliot. That's my, so you were from a little small town? From a small town. Dancing was not the thing for little boys to do. Absolutely. Absolutely. And my mom, God love her, took me to a church hall. I took a tap class. A year later, I got a scholarship to a ballet school. And then off I, off I went. I danced in 10 West End shows. And then 20 years ago moved to New York to be the assistant to Susan Stroman. I was the assistant on a show called The Producers. Never heard of it. Never Real. heard of it, right. Too a little, little off-Broadway off flop called The Producers. So I came for six months and never left. Uh, I sponsored myself for a green card, stayed, and now 14 Broadway shows later, here I am. So as you now, as you look at young kids going into dance now is 10 years old considered late yeah yeah because it's the olympics it's the olympics unless you're three i have a niece who's five and she's doing backflips already i mean she's very she's a very sophisticated gymnast at the age of five so i think i think 10 is late why did your mom bring you like what was it you know i was hyperactive i was really hyperactive and i ran i was in the track team and on the swim team and i was into all sorts of sports i did horseback riding i did karate i did all sorts of crazy things and i saw the movie top hat on the tv i saw fred astaire in a pair of tap shoes and i literally pointed at the tv and said i want to do that and that and that was it because it is like the olympics dances like the olympics you can never be perfect or it can always be better and what year was that oh uh, 10, mm, the 80s. So Top Hat, what, what I'm going for is Top Hat obviously was a little bit of a vintage movie, obviously, then. And you've been known for these classic revivals that are also a little throwback. So even then, you had a flair for that, that yeah, style. Yeah, it feels style. like that's my wheelhouse. And, I, and I'm scared to say that because I'd like to be hired for, for some contemporary musical theater at some point in my life. But no, I think I have a. I like classic. I like elegant. I like intelligent, beautiful pieces of theater and and joyous celebrations of things. I don't like looking down at things. My POV is is much more looking up. With After Midnight, I looked up at Duke Ellington. I celebrated his music. With Kiss Me, Kate, you know, you'll see. I look up at that kind of era. I look up at the forties. I look up at this kind of battle of the sexes. You know, since Adam and Eve. I look up at that. I look up at us folks in the theater. I think it's a really, that just seems to be my personal um, creative point of view. 
Well, I have to believe that that's part of the reasons for your tremendous success because musical theater especially, that was the point, right? To make people forget about their troubles and put some joy into their lives. Yeah, and After Midnight is a good example. You know, it was set in a cotton club during the Harlem riots and I kept those riots outside of the theater doors. I decided just to escape for 90 minutes, to let audiences, to take them back to a beautiful, wonderful time that we can no longer have. And a lot of my work, you're correct, seems to be of that kind of ilk. So you tend West End shows, so then you move here. Obviously, you could have continued, I would imagine, a very successful career as a performer, and you come over here to be an associate choreographer. So why the switch? I think I'd always choreographed. It's funny, when I was 24, I choreographed my first West End show. So I was already, I think from a young age, I was listening to music and imagining people dancing. And I, and I think being able to come to America, I wanted to be a small fish in a big pond. I wanted to come to the country of Jerome Robbins, of Bob Fosse, you know, of Martha Graham. I just, I wanted to be in this country. I wanted to learn from the best. And, and being in New York and working on Broadway, I, I got to learn from the best. And of course, sitting at, at the feet of Susan Stroman was a really great introduction to this world. Did you perform here as well? The last time I ever danced was in a movie called Center Stage, and that was oh, in yeah. 1999. It was shot here in New York City. So you didn't perform on a Broadway stage? No, never. Never? I was, so when you got here, weren't you like, oh my God, now I'm a performer. i got to perform on a Broadway stage. You were like, nope, I'm choreographing, that's it. Yeah, because I think in my brain from 24, I'd already moved on. You know, in a funny way, I was so eager to choreograph, and I... And I maintained the show, the producers, for seven years. I waited for seven years for my chance to choreograph. I really waited. At the St. James Theatre, I waited for seven years. And having Finian's Rainbow in that very same theatre was really a very powerful moment because I literally sat on the steps at the back of that Broadway theatre and waited for seven years. And what came first? What was the opportunity that came to you? What was interesting was it was one that I would never have dreamt of. It was a show called Tale of Two Cities, a little-known Broadway show, I have to say. Right, I mean, that's interesting, right? Right, I mean, it's really interesting, and I was booked to choreograph it in Florida. I didn't know it was ever going to be a Broadway show, and it it was directed by a wonderful guy, and it was his first musical, and... After we did our out-of-town version, it was, it was clear that I needed just to wear both hats. It was clear to all of us, actually. So I did. I took over directing. And then, lo and behold, my Broadway debut as a director was at the Hirschfeld Theatre. So tell me, let's talk about... I want to get back to your trajectory, but let's talk about that because I find it so interesting, especially because I'm watching Fosse Verdon right now on FX. Um, but I've talked about this with some other guests as well, how many superstar in the theater we've had that are both directors and choreographers. So it became very clear that you needed to wear both hats. Why why do choreographers make such great directors as well? Why is that transition so easy? I think they're storytellers, actually. I think if you're good at telling a story, you're good at telling a story. It doesn't matter. I think some writers actually make great directors too. You know, I've seen that happen. But I, I think great storytellers come in both bodies. And someone like Tommy Tune is, is an incredible visual storyteller. Bob Fosse, incredible, was able to work in a wide shot on a stage but focused our eye by the isolation of the body, by moving one finger. And suddenly 1,500 people all looking at that one finger. And then Bob Fosse with a camera was able to do a close-up on that finger. So you see his, his vision translate from a wide shot in the theater to a close-up on film. And it was something that I think for him certainly translated very quickly and very easily 
So the unexpected tale of two cities lands on Broadway, and you're all of a sudden making your Broadway debut now, not just as a choreographer, but as a director choreographer. How was that? When you were, was it like, oh shit, this is happening? Yeah, was it, it exciting? Was ex- thrilling, it was exactly scary? that. No, it was it was um, slightly scary. It was a nineteen million dollar production. It was my first as a director. I was a very I continued to be an inexperienced director. Um, yeah, it was it was a lot. It was a lot. It was a difficult story to tell, and I was trying to tell it with a great deal of imagination. And and it was a project that the writer had had. Um, Jill Santoriello wrote book, music, and lyrics. So I had all three departments in one in one person. She'd been doing it for twenty five years, and I was the person tasked with bringing her her child to life. It was an interesting it was an interesting experience and something that I really loved. And I. I believe I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing now had I not had that experience. And and I just needed to get, I needed to hit the ball over the net. I needed to direct and choreograph a Broadway show because I, there's that thing about once you've done one, once you've proved you can do it, there's a little bit more likelihood that you're going to do it again. So for me, that was a very important beginning. And I went to Jack Bratell after it and said, I think I, I don't think I can be a director. I don't think I can do this. This was really hard for me. And he said, oh, good. I want you to direct Finian's Rainbow at City Center. So I did. So he made me get back in the saddle immediately. And that was all Jack Vertel. Jack pushed me to do Finian's. And of course, I found a wonky little show that I just fell madly in love with. It has the kind of magic that I really like. It's not a linear story. And then it played at City Center here in New York. And an intermission of the show on the Friday night at the end of the run, Rocco Landisman called me and said... You got the St. James Theater. I love this show. I love it. It's going into the St. James. So before I even knew it, before I'd even had a chance to think, I'd booked my second Broadway show as a director. And then thanks to the glorious Charles Isherwood, glorious in font 22, bold, glorious, Charles Isherwood wrote me some really incredible reviews for that show that then I think helped just give me confidence. They gave me confidence. They gave the industry confidence in me as a director and just helped me um, really get started. Yeah, that review is beautiful production and that rare thing, revival with no stars, no real stars, Kate Baldwin and Cheyenne Jackson, uh, incredible performers, but not a whole, they're certainly not Bette Midler, right? Yeah. Yeah. And across the board raves, I remember, like every single review was amazing for your work and for the show itself. Um, unfortunately, it didn't have a very long run. How did you deal process that? This industry obviously is so arbitrary. It's the first, you know, it's like your first breakup. You know, it's the first time you get your heart broken. And, and that was the first time because I'd really, I'd never, in, I'd never fallen in love with something actually as much as I loved that. I really loved that cast. I loved that production. I loved being in that theater, the St. James, that magical, magical place. And it was the first time that I was really, truly heartbroken about something, you know, and, I, and I've been better about it since. But we love these shows. We really love them. And it's, and it's when I direct and choreograph something, it's not a little bit of myself in it. It's my whole, you get my whole heart. You get all of me. You get the good, the bad, the ugly. Like, all of me is on that stage. And Finian's was really all of me. It was all my imagination, my childhood. It was all of my heart. And it was just the first time that something like that came, came and went so quickly. So after the first show, you had to pick yourself up again. And thanks to Jack Vertel for helping uh, do that. Uh, the industry owes him a debt, actually. And after this, now, did you find yourself, you had to pick yourself back up again? Or were you, no, no, I get it now? No, I was, I was a little bit older and uglier. And I, 
Yeah, I took some time. I didn't work. I actually probably didn't work for about eight months after Finian's. I just, it just took me a minute. It took me a minute to realize what my life was about to be like, actually, because I was very new at it. And, and after eight months, I did, you know, did 10 readings and 10 workshops in those eight months, but nothing of any note. And then after, after some time had passed, I was actually ready. I'd like steeled myself and I, was, and I was ready to be in the business, actually. So tell me a little bit about your process. So someone calls you and says, oh, you're going to do Hello Dolly or you're going to do Finian's or you're going to do something new. What's the first thing you do? I read the script. I mean, I really, I'm really good with my scripts. I spend a long time. The older I get, the longer I spend sitting down, actually. I spend a long time with the script. I go word to word to word to word to word to word. I make sure, actually, first, I understand every single thing that's been said. I try not to take anything for granted. Once I've been through the script three or four or five times, then I start with the music and I'll play and listen to every single note. I'll analyze the music. I'll write down certain things about certain characters. You know, he's a con man. Great, so now I know he needs a tap dance because tap dance equals conning. I can con someone with those feet. Like, that's fun for me. So I'll, I'll, I'll start to find things or pull things out of it, lift things out that appeal to me, appeal to my imagination, appeal to my sensibility. But it's really, for me, it's really page one. I do one page at a time. The older I get, the slower I am. Because it feels like if I can get the concept right, then the steps come very easily. It's never really about the steps. For me, it's much more about the idea. The idea of um, Kiss Me Kate's a good example. Too Darn Hot is 10 minutes and 47 seconds of dance. But it's about actors at rest. It's, a, it's intermission of the show. They're all in the back alleyway of the theater. And you get to watch these beautiful creatures at rest. And for me, it was all about that. And then it became, the second layer was, it became this kind of battle of the sexes. If the men danced, then guess what? The women are going to dance better. And if the women dance better, then guess what? The men are going to dance. And then guess what? Here comes Corbin in a pair of tap shoes. Guess what? Here comes James T. Lane and we have the Nicholas Brothers. Guess what? It's so great that steam explodes through the floor. Guess what? We're going to tiptoe around and start again. I mean, it just, it's interesting, but it becomes about layers. So I've, I've learned just, I've learned not to rush. I don't rush to opening night. One of the numbers in Kiss Me Kate, I changed, I think, five days before opening because I still wasn't happy. It was a seven out of 10, and it needs to, in my book, be between, it needs to be an eight out of 10 minimum. So I worked at Bianca with, with Sweet Corbin Blue a lot. And the seven out of 10, eight out of 10, is that your own scale? How much of that is dependent upon audience response or what you're hearing or seeing? Or uh, a little bit. Gut? It's a little bit. A lot of it's just gut. I mean, I thought with, with Bianca as example, I wrote in my script, don't try too hard. Warren, don't try too hard. Because it's in that moment in Act 2 where we just, we're in need of a charm number. The show needs a charm number. Bianca is a charm number. It's a response to her number before it. You know, and I just didn't want to try so hard. A lot of Kiss Me Kate is very percussive. It's very athletic. The men are jumping and flipping and there's this all sorts of stuff going on. And I just wanted a smile. I just wanted the audience to smile and enjoy this. And when it got, it was beautiful in the rehearsal room and it got to the theater and the audience smiled, but then that smile felt like a seven. It felt like a seven out of 10. So I then went to work on what can I do to actually help make this better, make my work better. Corbin has always been incredible. It was never about Corbin. It just was about me and about my particular concept for it that didn't hold up. So then I looked at David Rockwell's three-story set and of course... I realized I wasn't dancing on the set because I'd been in a rehearsal room with no set. So now suddenly there's a dance that goes on three layers, three levels. That seemed to help. And as I was sitting there, I was thinking, okay, so I've danced. So then it became an eight out of 10. 
better. Now all the girls are dancing. They're all tapping, which they didn't expect, nor did I. So now all these beautiful women are tap dancing all over this set on all these levels. And then there's one piece, there's a landing. And all I can see from the third row is the, is the underneath of this landing. And I just thought, I just got to put his feet there. Like somehow I have to get Corbin to dance underneath that piece of scenery because it's the only piece of real estate I haven't used. Mm-hmm. So literally five days before we opened, I had some extra railings installed and bullied Corbin into flipping upside down and dancing on this, basically dancing on the ceiling. Um, and then now, and, and you'll see it, it's more of an eight out of 10 than it is a seven. Sounds so hopefully I'm inched, more than I inched closer. Little spoiler alert there, but yep. well, it's amazing because I always think that a choreographer has to like blueprint the steps out so far in advance of even getting the rehearsal room. And it just sounds like much more of a freeform process for you being frankly inspired by what you're seeing. Yeah, I like collaborating. I think that's the that's the fun of it for me. Like I could I could pre-plan the whole show. I really could. But it's but that's not fun. It doesn't leave any room for the actors. It doesn't leave any room for the writers. Then suddenly no one else has an opinion other than me. And I and I think that's lonely. So I I have to be prepared and I'm generally prepared 70 or 75%, but I like divine inspiration. I like that. I believe in it. I believe that those actors are divine creatures and I think if they if they have an instinct to move in a certain way or to, to do something at a certain time, I don't want to cut that off or put a ceiling on their creativity because once they do something, then I can top that and then they can top me and then off, and then off we go. And then before you know it, you're making these kind of numbers that can blow the roof off. Mm-hmm. Um, so I like, to, I, like to pl- I like to be prepared enough that I'm not in a panic, but I like to leave a little room. So speaking of collaboration, when do you like to come aboard a show? How early, how late? I mean, I prefer, if I'm just going to choreograph, I would prefer early. Otherwise, it just becomes like a, like a department that's just kind of stuck on. It's like the projection department or something. You know, it's like that's what happens. It's like, oh, we'll, we'll do the show, we'll write it, we'll do all the music, we'll do all the stuff, and then we're going to hire the, production, the projection designer, and he's going to make some images. Like, I feel like sometimes choreography can be in that, kind of um, billing but if, if dance is in there from the get go um, I give you two examples Oklahoma Carousel that's it I mean there's nothing more to say that Agnes DeMille was in at the ground floor and you know her dances in those two shows changed the way we do musicals and I think if dance can be in at the ground floor it can it can tell story it can tell story in a profound way and I, and I also think that it has this kind of Special vibration. I think that when you can express yourself through spoken word, you sing. And when you can express yourself through song, you dance. So I feel that dance is a, is a high expression of emotion. And I think to create the musical without that as part of it is a, is a mistake. And I've done both. I've done musicals where I've been in there from the first day as it's been written. And I've done musicals where I've come in very late and then had to kind of push my way to expand... Um, the minds of the other um, collaborators. Yeah, just as you say that, it just reminds me of what we were talking about before about director choreographers. Obviously, they think Fosse, Bennett, some of the greatest music, Robbins, right? Greatest musicals we've ever had, West Side Story, Chorus Line, were director choreographers because they were obviously thinking about dance <laughs> yeah. from the get-go. I mean, the first, the first words of West Side Story, think about the first words of West Side Story. It's a chasse sideways, actually. It's a dancer center stage on his right foot, and he goes, be bada ball change. Chasse, rock back. They're the first words of that play, and I think that's really profound, actually. 
and that Robbins somehow figured that out. They, all those guys figured that out. They knew that the first words of that play needed to be dance. Yeah, what, you know, actually, Arthur Lawrence, who wrote the book, is infamous for having quite an ego, but for able, being able to take a back step to, no, no, I'm going to let dance lead this because dance has to lead this. Yeah, and we're still, we're still trying to get to the level of what Robbins did. We still, still, generation after generation, that choreography is, is masterful, masterful. And we have yet, in my opinion, we have yet to get there. We have yet to do better. How has choreography changed over the last 20 years? Has it changed because of the athleticism of the dancers, just like basketball has changed or golf has changed? I think that's brilliant. I, I would agree. I think it's like the Olympics. Every single season, every single year, the dancers get better. And I, and I used to find it was me challenging them creatively, and now it's them challenging me. Now I walk into a rehearsal room thinking, I better do something that's worthy of these guys. I better do work that's good enough for them. You know, I work on the TV show, So You Think You Can Dance as well. I've done five seasons of that. And I love doing it because they are the greatest dancers in the whole world. Those kids are 19 and 20. They're young. They're not yet broken. And it is, it's like choreographing the Olympics because there is nothing they cannot do. So every single year the standard goes up. And does technology affect choreography at all? We've seen a lot of changes. Or are you one of those art forms that, no, like painting, like it will just be always the same? I think it's interesting. You know, the Hugh Jackman tour that I just directed and choreographed integrates we have we have i don't know a lot of screens a lot of screens millions and millions of dollars worth of of led tile and that is fully integrated actually the choreography is integrated into the video content um the dance on the stage is is reproduced by eight live camera feeds that i also direct and it's it's an interesting that's an interesting marriage of choreography and cameras and choreography and video content i like that radio city that i directed a few years ago was also a good marriage of that, was um, this incredible video content, but we did a lot of green screen. I'm finding that more and more that is part of, it's part of what I do is being able to marry those two, those two forms. Speaking of Mr. Jackman, you've dealt with some pretty big stars in your day, obviously. How is working with a big star versus working with someone who is not a big star? Do you find yourself having to act a little differently no, it's the same. I have to say it's the same. It's the same. It really is. Bette Midler is, is wonderful and Hugh Jackman is wonderful and all of, the, all of the people I've worked with. But ultimately, we just want to do a good job. All of us. When you really get to the root of it, we just want to do a good job. You know, if you're a book writer, you just, you just want to write a good book. You want to write some great lines that people remember or that actors can succeed with. And if you're a choreographer, you want to do a, you want to create a musical number that blows the roof off. And if you're a big star, you, you want to do good for the show. I mean, that, that's a big responsibility. Bette Midler carried a big responsibility with Hello, Dolly, just as Hugh will do with Music Man. You know, it's Hugh Jackman's Music Man. That's, that's a responsibility, and I know he'll feel that keenly. Do you read reviews? Yeah, I read everything. Every single review. Yeah, I didn't used to. It's funny. I used to protect myself from it. But the problem is the business is so small that everybody you meet has read them. So I, I don't like meeting someone that knows something about me that I don't know. You know, I, and it does. It colors. It colors meetings or it, it, colors, it colors things. So now I'm just brave. Now I just read them. It's okay. And I, and I think if you can take the good ones, you should take the bad ones too. And 
quite often in my case, I have to say they're right. I've, I've been reading them lately, and um, there are some really insightful ones in a couple of instances that, that I'm enjoying. Like what? You know, Jesse Green, I have to say, Jesse Green writes really good reviews. He's, he's, he's generally right. In, in my personal, in my case, in my case, he's generally right. I've, I've gone back a couple of times and read things that he's written over the years, actually. And that's been really interesting that for some reason, if, I, if I'm nervous about something, he can generally pick up on it. If the Smithsonian Institute called and said, we have room for one of your numbers in our institute to preserve forever, what's the, your favorite number you've ever choreographed? Any show? Oh, that's a really interesting question. You know, I secretly have three of my assistants have a list for my memorial. They have, I have a famous list of numbers to be performed at my memorial. And they're like the all-time favorites. It's really funny. All right, let's see. So I got here first. I got, hey, there's a couple. There's a couple on that list. This, at this particular time in my life, it would have to be too darn hot from Kiss Me Kate. Just because it's 10 minutes and 47 seconds of just, of just great Broadway dance. It's like beautiful animals doing what they were, what they were born to do. And I, I love watching the audience. You know, there's this weird thing with the number that it opens act two and there's polite applause. And then you feel the audience realize, wait a minute, those kids just danced for 10 minutes and 45 seconds. They, and it's just the, it's the chorus kids. And there's a beautiful swell of applause that I actually, I like that for them. So this season it would be that. I'm, now I'm into this memorial I'm going to ask this question now. I'm going to make this up as we go. So if you could have someone speak at your memorial, living or dead, known to you or unknown to you, who would it be? Christine Baranski. Christine Baranski? Yeah. Why? Because I love her. Because I love her. I did MAME with her at the Kennedy Center. And she and I had a beautiful, beautiful connection. And she taught me how to read a script. She taught me how to read a script. That's Christine Baranski. So she's someone that gets me. Her understudy would be Nathan Lane. Have you because worked with Nathan? I have worked with Nathan. And Nathan was there right at the beginning of my American life and was someone that really I'm very fond of, have continued to be fond of over the years. And, and yeah, Nathan would be the understudy to Christine Baranski. So you have that real great perspective because you worked for so many years in the West End and then so many years here. What's something that we do... What's something that the West End does better than Broadway that we could learn from? Oh, um, that's hard to say, really, because I've been here for so many years. I, I enjoy some of their straight plays. I enjoy going to the Royal National Theatre and, and seeing what they're doing. That, that's something that I just... And that's a personal thing, and it's not that one thing's better than the other in a way. But I, but I think some of those young playwrights that they kind of champion that come up through the Royal National Theatre are really... Uh, kind of great kind of great and they take risks um, that I enjoy what's something that Broadway does better than the West End oh this I yeah this I'm just going to say my version of it I, I think musical theatre here is really kind of terrific it's a very American seems to me a very American art form it's, it's just in your DNA somehow of that it has that can do spirit and I, and I think it's, it's slightly different in England. There's a slightly different mentality to a musical. There's a slightly different approach to a musical. Um, it just feels like a very, very American art form and something that, that everyone here is really, really good at. 
any young choreographers out there that you've got your eye on that you like new people to the biz yeah you know she's not new but she's quite wonderful Camille Brown I, I'm watching her boy is she coming look out I, I gotta dance a little faster she's just I think she's wonderful I think she's really wonderful I watched uh, Once on this Island I thought was just wonderful and Choir Boy this season um, which she's nominated for I think she's really wonderful and a strong a strong woman with a strong voice and I, I, I've got my eye on her and besides that music man with that star that no one's ever heard of before what else do you have coming next? So I have a revival of Secret Garden, um, which I'm really keen on. I'm really keen on. It's one on. of my favorite musicals of all time, that show. The music is just oh, a killer. It's a beautiful show, and I did a workshop about a year ago now of it, and uh, we're ready to go. I mean, we're ready to go. We're cast pretty much, and we're, we're in line for theaters. That's our, that's our plan for that. All right, my last question, which is my genie question. I want you to imagine that the genie from Aladdin comes to visit you and grants you one wish. So we already talked about how you look up and everything, and I can get that sense from you just in this last 30 minutes or so. But now I want you to think about what's the one thing about Broadway that drives you absolutely crazy, gets you pissed off, would have you flip this table up, that you'd ask this genie to wish away in an instant. I wish that I could hire every single person that auditions for me. That would be my one wish. I think the hardest, the hardest part of my job is saying no, actually. And, and I don't love it. I don't love sitting in judgment of people, especially people that work really hard. And I, So if I had a genie, I would hire every single person that auditions for me. What is your audition process like as a choreographer? We've heard all these actually Fosse stories and all this. Do you have, what do you do with dancers in a room? First? Yeah, it's pretty rough. It's pretty rough. Yeah, and I'm, I'm, I like to make them difficult because I don't always know what I'm going to do in the show and I never want to be in a position where I can't do something. So I, so I tend to be pretty tough. I Traditionally, I'll always have a kick. I'll always have a turn. I'll always have a rhythm step. I'll always have something that's extremely difficult because then I get to test the person, not just the dancer. I just get to test whether they can say yes in a difficult situation. Yeah, I normally, I normally test them quite, quite hard. How does a dancer get your attention in a room filled with 30 of them? Uh, strong technique, uh, long legs, short body, an ability to say yes, speed, rhythm, beautiful legs and feet, and an easy, relaxed face. That's generally what I respond to. Well, there you go. There's a top 10 list of how to get cast in a Warren Carlisle show right there. Uh, thank you so much for that answer, and thank you so much for joining us here today. Good luck this season. Good luck coming up. Thanks to all of you for listening, and we will see you next time. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now 
and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network.